Husky football podcast on the entire internet and the official podcast of the Cody Pickett Fan Club. I am Andrew Berg. Remember to subscribe, rate, review the podcast and all the other verbs that you can do to a podcast. I am joined, as always, by Gaby Lucas. Gaby, how is the quarantine evening treating you today? It's going all right. I uh, I have two kittens now. So there was like a two-week period, uh, which I think equated to one episode, where we wouldn't have my old cat yowling in the background and my now two very little cats uh, crawling up my leg with their death claws um, and me screaming in pain while that happens so congratulations uh husky fans that's the future of this audio recording it'll be fun to see if people can distinguish between which one's clawing is which if they have distinctive sounds that'll be a very worthwhile (laughs) game for the listeners to play the subtext of the episode Uh, we're going to talk about a couple things today, uh, a lot of idle conversation in a fallow period in the college sports calendar. Uh, first thing, though, there's one thing that's actually happening, and that's the NFL draft. And while this is probably a weaker crop of Husky draft prospects than we've seen in recent years, there are definitely a handful of guys who will get taken, uh, some in the earlier rounds. Probably, if I was putting money on it, the first off the board will be Jacob Easton because he's a quarterback and because he looks like a really good quarterback. Uh, what do you think of Easton's prospects as a pro? Do you think he's going to be worth kind of the the likely second or third round pick it'll cost to get him? I mean, I know we've talked about this a lot that he's you know going to go. I mean, now the projections are saying probably second round. I saw one that said maybe they'd think he would fall to the third and go to Tampa Bay, but you know that's. Not super likely. Yeah, excuse me, Tom. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, but I mean, regardless of where he goes, I feel pretty similar about him and Justin Herbert at the next level. Um, in that, I think they're kind of those types of quarterbacks where if you're a GM at a certain point, you have to take them because they look so prototypical. And I think both of them, um, I think could be starters for a short period of time or like kind of, you know, that kind of underwhelming starter slash good or valued, I shouldn't say good, I should say valued backup journeyman. I, I I don't know why I brought Herbert into this. It's just I've been thinking a lot about the two of, or about Eason um, in conjunction with Herbert simply because he's close by and is um, obviously going to get drafted before. Um, I, if I had to put money on it, I don't think that either of them, and again, I don't know why I brought Herbert up in this question specifically about Eason, but. It's relevant. I, I, Close enough. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Why not? They're both super tall white guys who can throw it like 500 yards. Um, up states apart from each other and play for yeah, rival schools exactly. and so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, but I think, I don't know. I, I can't. I think it's much more likely than not, and I don't think I'm going out on a limb by saying this, but I think it's much more likely than not that both of them end up 
recently Easton going to the third round of Tampa Bay. Um, I might be wrong on that, though, but I think that would kind of be a super perfect situation for him to not be overvalued or, or perhaps to be undervalued, depending on how you look at it, and to be put in a situation where all he has to do is learn because, as any Husky fan knows, I, I mean, there's a couple pretty – significant um, weaknesses or very concrete weaknesses that he clearly has to get better at at the NFL level, which is almost impossible to do once you're in the NFL, like um, with how much harder everything gets. Um, So for him to be able to be put in a situation kind of like Jarrett Stidham once last year, where, where he's sitting behind somebody who knows their shit, uh, and not be rushed into things and not be overvalued and not be super hyped up. Um, I think that is the one situation where I think maybe Eason could actually make something of himself. Um, I, I know this sounds really uh, like I'm being a super mega downer, but it's just because he is similar to how so many quarterbacks who look like him and have his skills that are, he is quote unquote overhyped or overvalued um, from a, a drafting standpoint. And yeah, I, it's easy to see why, because it could work out, and if it works yeah. out, you're awesome for 15 I think, years. Like you said, there are elements to his, in his profile, the height, the arm strength, probably the arm strength more than the physical build, because that is a little mm-hmm. bit more tangible. But there are things that mean more in the draft than they do on the field. And arm strength matters, but I think it matters more in the draft because it's something that's so easy to observe. And there are plenty mm-hmm. of quarterbacks who have been really, really good with just okay arm strength. Uh, and there are a lot yeah. of other things that Eason – we've talked about these things a lot. There are little things. I was just writing the the draft profile of him on the website, www.udubdogpound.com, as you have probably heard of. Um, it, but there are all these little things like the, the – the bad footwork when he drops back, the uh, throwing without getting his hips squared under him, the way he doesn't step up in the pocket and tends to spin backwards away from pressure, uh, the not you know changing the angle or the the power of passes when to make it easier on his receivers to catch them. Those are are tactical things that I think are probably coachable, and I think you're right. Like Stidham is probably a good comp in that regard. That if he does have the time to work on those things. I could imagine he will get better at those things. The part that worries me more about him is the seeming, uh, the the processing issue. It seems like as you read defenses and works works through a defense or faces pressure or both, he tends to make uh, progressively worse decisions, which makes me think that he's, uh, not, not a statement about how intelligent he is or isn't, but the way that he's, functionally thinking through a play is slower than the way the defense is functionally thinking through the same play. And that puts, puts him at a huge disadvantage that isn't going to get easier as he plays better defenses. So I, I'm pretty surprised. It's just kind of a, an archetype of a player that usually doesn't work out. That it, People draft and then they don't turn into anything. I mean, there's Ryan Mallets and Brock Osweilers and the, the way more failures and successes. And even the ones that do work out 
of these hulking quarterbacks with super strong arms, if they're going to be successful, it's kind of because you've built a team around them to cater to like play action passing and taking care of the football like Joe Flacco in Baltimore. And I don't think you want to spend a, a second round pick on a guy who might be able to get you to the playoffs if everything else is working just right. I think you, you kind of want him to be better than that. Uh, but yeah, somebody yeah. will take him earlier thinking, like you just said, that they, they will be the ones who unlock something significantly more than that. I just can't even think of an example of, like, the second or third round quarterback who fits this profile, who turns into a superstar. Like, if they're going to do that, it's Peyton Manning or Matt Ryan or Matthew Stafford, and they, they, they've already kind of actualized the ability before they get to the draft. It, that's my opinion anyway. Yeah. I'd be pretty surprised. Yeah, no, and it, it, yeah. it kind of reminds me – oh, sorry, did I interrupt? No, no. Okay. It kind of reminds me of, um, like, the, the Mike Hopkins or, uh, like, Sean Miller dilemma that people have – and we'll talk about often in basketball, college basketball recruiting, where, like, you have this five-star guy right there. You have to go after him because of the potential. Like, at a certain point, um, I feel like that's a pretty apt comparison for GMs when you look at just the raw talent of um, somebody like Easton uh, and raw physicality. Uh, like, at a certain point after he drops, even if you don't think statistically or the probability of him realizing that is a lot or is very high at a certain point there is that sense I feel like for whether that's college or college basketball uh coaches looking at one and dones or um GMs looking at quarterbacks where there feels like this weird mental obligation even though time and time again it kind of those sorts of things don't often work out I guess it's a little bit more common for uh, or not a little bit. It is much more common for one and done five stars in college basketball to kind of provide something for those teams. But a lot of times, like you look at UW this year with McDaniel's, uh, you look at a lot of issues that like Arizona has had in the past, of or just a lot of teams that build their um build their core of just like constant five star freshmen who just don't have everything put together, but like could maybe you know. And I feel like there's that opportunity cost that a lot of GMs just can't get out of their mind, you know. Yeah, I think that's right, that it's it's ultimately an uh, expected value calculation. It's like, what are you putting into it? And I think there is a point where it becomes worthwhile, and to me it's probably sometime around the fourth round, and I don't think there's any chance he's avail- available at that point. So Yeah, no, uh, chance, no chance. Yeah. I would be shocked if he's not taken in the second, at least. I, yeah, I think that's where it's going to end up. Um, the one thing that I think is that I will be watching for is if he goes before or after uh, Love, the Utah State quarterback. Yeah. Because uh, that's another one where it's just like there are you can kind of talk yourself into the the crazy athleticism and strong arm and it can has, can do a little bit of everything. But then he also his numbers last year were just god awful. It's like twenty to seventeen touchdown interception ratio. So is that like is that is that what we're comparing Easton to? And I know he had bad teammates and new coaching and whatever, but uh, can move on from that. Uh, there are some other uh, offensive prospects uh, who are going to be. Uh, most likely drafted. There's a trio of offensive linemen, uh, Trey Adams and Jake Hilbers and Nick Harris, who are probably going to get drafted. Harris is probably the least likely of the three, but I think at the end of the day, there's a pretty good chance all three of them get taken somewhere. I'd, uh, I'd say Hilbers, or that Harris is more likely than I would put Hilbers more likely as a high priority UDFA. Sorry. Oh, okay. I, 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 
most recent thing I looked at was through NFL.com, and I think they had Hilbert's graded slightly higher, but, you know, that's one yeah. uh, site. But I'm curious, just, you know, pro- projection or not, how do you, if you're starting a team or if you're building a team, who among this group would you most want on your roster? Um, I should, I, I do like that question after what I just said, because I think it's close between those two, but I think of the three, I think the guy who could become like sneakily the most successful might be Hilbers. Um, it, or at least, at least most value for where you pick him or I, I would guess probably seventh round, um, or, or soon signing thereafter. Um, and then, yeah, it's, it is, this is kind of, and it, I also, sorry, I mentioned, uh, or, uh, responded to your, your, uh, Harris comment so quickly because I've also seen him. That's interesting that you saw him as a UDFA or seventh round because I've seen him everywhere from third round to then. And it, it, I, I think he's, he, he's kind of like the anti Eason in that regard as far as offensive yeah. linemen go because yeah. he, he could be, if he can maintain strength and weight, like he could, he's such a smart guy and he's on the field at least. Uh, and he's such a, um, I mean, you watch his play style and you're like, yeah, that's a guy you want on your team. Um, that, that if he can keep up strength and weight, like I, I think he could, could have a, a pretty decent career for someone who otherwise has a lot of stuff stacked against him. Um, so yeah, I'd probably go with one of those two. Although it, man, it, it feels it feels so wrong, and I feel so bad saying that over Trey Adams simply from a, a sentimental standpoint of of uh, you know how his career was quote unquote supposed to go when he was a, a freshman and, and sophomore. Um, and I, I, if there's any, I don't think I'm rooting for anybody more than. I am for Adams to magically get over his injury uh, issues and the the decreased um, athleticism and other stuff that that he initially had that made him so intriguing of a prospect. Yeah, I think I, I that worries me, and I think that's an apt uh, thing to consider in uh, Trey Adams' case that he he just wasn't the same player after he got hurt. And maybe with a little bit more distance from the injury and with a more professional training staff, he can overcome that. But that's kind of one of those, I'll believe it when I see it things, because there are a lot of football players who have career-altering injuries like that, never get back to where they were before. Uh, Harris, it's it's kind of a no-go, go, no-go thing. Like, is he big enough and strong enough? If he's not, it's not like all the heart in the world and all the technique in the world and leadership ability can overcome that. Like if you have that one thing, it's the same thing as if he was like five foot three, it's like, it doesn't matter what else he could do. It's just one thing. that's just not going to be enough to play at that position. Um, And if he can get big and strong enough to do it, great. I think, you know, he's, he always, the the film on him is stuff that uh, scouting experts will highlight, you know, put out in GIFs on the internet and on Twitter and be like, look, look at this guy. It's a perfect example of stealing the backside or whatever. Uh, and then Hilbers kind of does a little bit of everything and I, and he's proven versatility. And I think for that reason, you're right. He probably will get a pretty long look just because 
he's never going to be exceptional, but he can fill in in a, bu- in a bunch of different ways, and that has a lot of value in a league with a pretty <laughs> stringent salary cap and roster limitations. You need guys yeah, who can do exactly. more than one thing, and he can probably do that. Um, got two more very quick draft-related questions. One, do you think a Husky defender will get drafted this year? It seems like Miles Bryant is kind of the last best hope. Uh, do you think he ends up getting picked? Yeah, well, I mean, who – I'm trying uh, trying to think who else – Miles Bryant. Benny uh, Potowai is technically eligible, but – Oh, my God, like... I totally forgot about that. I, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if that is any more likely, but yeah. I wouldn't be shocked if Bryant was like a seventh round – because he's kind of one of those guys who also is kind of the opposite of Easton – except for unlike Nick Harris, who can hypothetically can get stronger and put on more weight. You can't just grow taller. Um, But I feel like uh, as far as he reminds me of Easton in as much as his skill level, he has one thing where at a certain um, depth in the rounds, in the drafting rounds, um, it's just a really high value pick for that or a high value pick for um, a opportunity cost, you know, because like what else are you going to get in the seventh round that, or, or, you know, late sixth um, that is as reliable even given his limitations. So like, I don't, I don't think nobody will, will anybody who drafts him is knowing exactly how high his ceiling is um, just because of his, physical characteristics of being like five eight or whatever. Um but I wouldn't be I wouldn't be shocked if he is. I'd say I'd say I'd sixty forty he will be. I'd probably be not yeah, put a little lower odds on it, but I yeah, I think um, you know, he's he's the candidate. I agree with everything you said about him. I, I ultimately think the size might uh, keep him getting drafted, but I do think he'll play in the NFL and have at least a bit of a career because he's such a smart, instinctual player. Uh, last yeah, exactly. one on the draft. Uh, can Hunter Bryant realize his potential as a pro? I feel like whether it was injuries or a feeling like the uh, play calling wasn't going in his favor enough, there was always we always always were kind of left wanting a little bit more out of Hunter Bryant. Do you think at the next level there will be a team that figures out a way to use him and get everything there is to get out of him as a player? Or maybe this is just all there is to him. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I don't know. I've kind of gone back and forth on him too. Um, I do. Do you have the stats in front of you for what his uh, combine forty time was? Because uh, I know it was not very good. <laughs> lower. Yeah. Yeah, and that's kind of something that that is a little bit freaky seeing that because his, I mean, his speed and his athleticism, um, and his his just his ability to be a mismatch, or it was such an asset that if all of a sudden he lost that, um, I don't, you know, I don't think so. I think the answer to your question then would be no. Um, but also, you know, there was some speculation um, on the interwebs. And granted, this is just speculation, so I'm not going to, like, throw out any accu- – I'm not going to accuse anyone here or anything. But there was some speculation that, like, his training regimen um, before the combine was just – counterproductive to what he was trying to show and do and everything. So um, I think there is a possibility if, if that is the case and that's mostly what the problem was. Um, I think there is a possibility that once he's training 
uh, with this an NFL professional NFL staff that knows exactly what they want to do and how to get him to that point where he can do that, uh, you know, that I can kind of salvage it. I, from what I've seen, you know, people are probably expecting him to play mostly as just a gigantic uh, receiver rather than yeah. a traditional yeah. tight end, which makes sense because he's not a huge guy and he was never asked to do uh, shitload of blocking. Pardon my French. Um, but yeah, I'm kind of in a, in a holding pattern on, on him. Um, I think at the least though, I, I think he could be in the NFL for, for a bit, um, as kind of, kind of similar to, uh, Jared Hilbers, although obviously he'll get drafted far before him, um, as somebody who can kind of be a supporting cast member, um, and, uh, kind of a high value, not super expensive dude. That's would be my guess. I feel like I'm making a lot of uh, assessments to, <laughs> on this though that are all going to be on like old takes exposed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there's a version of this with Bryant where like the, where you started that he he is faster than what he showed up as, and he does kind of turn into a breakout player. And it does seem like tight ends are are more likely to to find the right system, the right chemistry with a quarterback, and yeah, more or less come out of nowhere. Like somebody you didn't really expect to have a, you know, 10-touchdown, 9-touchdown season or something just randomly puts that up. Like Darren Waller last year was a guy like that. He came out of absolutely nowhere and had a great year in Oakland. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe Bryant does that. And I am kind of skeptical of the 40 time at the combine. Like it was bad. It was, I looked at it, it was four, seven, four. That's like incredibly slow yeah. for a guy with his athleticism, but we've also watched him run a lot. I mean, I would trust uh, every Husky fan watching him saying this guy's incredibly fast and athletic for somebody his size over four and a half bad seconds of his life. Like I know he's fast. And whether or not he ran fast in that five-second stretch, he is fast. And I, I don't think that would be the thing that would sidetrack his career. So, I, you know, I, I'm cautiously optimistic about him, I would say. Yeah, I kind of – I think – I kind of agree with you. Um, I think he could – he is a very – he could kind of be all over the place as far as his career. Yeah, it's going to depend on the, the fit. And there's no yeah. way you can uh, ever refute that because if he turns out badly, I'll just say it was the wrong system. <laughs> yeah, perfect, perfect take. Uh, let's move on from the draft a little bit. Uh, and as much as, as interesting as it is to talk about the one sporting event that seems to be happening, uh, let's talk about the abyss. Let's talk about the lack of sporting events and things that aren't happening. Uh, we're about a month into all sports being canceled, and obviously there wouldn't be any college football happening right now anyway. We'd be going through spring practice. We'd have a spring game to talk about. There'd probably be more recruiting news as players could go on site and meet coaches and things like that, or coaches could go visit them. Instead, everybody's locked in their basements. Uh, what do you think is – well, first of all, tell me a little bit about kind of what this what you're thinking about in a larger uh, sense uh, with the lack of sports overall and, and also just the, the impact that it's, it will have on football this year, lack of spring football. Uh, what the regular season might end up looking at, like there's an impact on recruiting. Just kind of give me a brain dump on uh, the COVID-related college football world. I don't. I I don't. I, I guess I could could guess a prediction, but I feel like other than the absolute experts and decision makers, I don't really feel like me, anyone 
I feel like nobody is in a place to have necessarily like any any thought about what possibly I mean because there's obviously a whole bunch of possibilities on how this whole thing could play out with uh, college sports and all that but there but there again there's so many possibilities and we're so early on in this whole process anyway that that it, to to ha- have a thought on like yeah this will definitely happen is that's like beyond my comprehension of, <laughs> of what could um, one thing I do think is and I'm saying the following statement with the assumption that high school sports happen in the fall um, obviously that could totally be wrong and there is a real chance that they don't um, but I think it will be interesting seeing how recruiting uh, works for, for football um, with how much so so many so many recruits that would otherwise have kind of come up on the scene and become rising stars the spring of their junior year from camps and seven on seven and stuff um, uh, really are depending on playing. This sounds crazy, but playing actual football uh, <laughs> on a actual football field with actual helmets and shoulder pads, uh, and it's it's. I think there's going to be a lot of people who slip through the cracks. A because there's just a lot of kids and only what three months of actually playing sports, um, of actually playing football, <laughs> and um, you know only there's less much less time to kind of rise in the rankings, unlike how how the uh, calendar usually works with the spring and summer. Um, I think for what it's worth, though, that does kind of play into Jimmy Lake's uh, recruiting hand given how UW typically does tend to really like those kind of guys. I mean, this is, of course, assuming that uh, Jimmy Lake is taking a similar approach to Peterson, which, you know, it seems all evidence um, is that he is, you know, with his own twists and tweaks to the system. But um, I think recruiting in the fall is going to be really fun to watch. Other than yeah, that, I have no yeah. idea what's going to happen. I, I also think there, this year we're going to see a much higher volume of recruits backing out of verbal commitments and flipping later in the process because they just have less information when they're making decisions, the ones who are committing now. Uh, we had a conversation on our, our blog Slack channel a couple of weeks ago about how Ohio State has signed just an absurd class so far. It like already stacks up as a great end-of-year class. I'm very skeptical that they're going to hold on to a large percentage of those guys because a lot of them haven't been able to make official visits yet and will do it later in the year. And it's going to be magnitudes harder to hold on to a class that you signed really early uh, this year compared to other years. I, I One other thing that I'm interested in is the impact on health, assuming we do get something looking like a normal season in the fall. Uh, will the lack of off-season training lead to more injuries or will the fact that there weren't injuries independently in spring training or in spring football uh, result in better overall health. I mean, it's it's smart teams will be evaluating that and kind of figuring out uh, in the future, like maybe we should have less contact in the offseason or maybe it doesn't make any difference at all. And using this to do more analysis of 
their training programs and what they can and should and shouldn't do uh, with the time in the offseason because it's a totally different uh, vacuum that they never would have had as a data point otherwise. So I think that that will be an interesting thing to observe. Like, do we learn any lessons about how to conduct the offseason by essentially not having one this year? Yeah, and I think that's really true on a larger scale, too. Um, Jen Cohen talked about similar stuff with um, uh, Christian Cable and the Athletic that came out uh, today when we were recording this yesterday when you're listening to this. Um, but just this is – I wonder what systematic um, or institutional changes will um, either happen directly because of this or will start to uh, evolve simply because this is the first time ever that all these – that the NCAA, that all these colleges, um, that different sports are being put in the position of just temporarily being on hiatus. And so I feel like it's a, yeah, kind of similar to what you said, but, but on a much larger scale is a time where you really can see what cracks there are, um, in so many different aspects, whether that's financially, health wise, like you said, um, uh, you know, whatever. Um, so I think, it, I think there's going to be a lot of, changes or or at least stepping back and assessing the reasons why the NCAA and colleges and football programs why they do what they do what is important um and I think learning from this how to move forward in a way that you know what are actually our strengths and weaknesses what we should keep doing and what versus what are the things that we just do because that's just what we do and it's ingrained. Right. um, Yeah. For those processes. I also think that will be kind of a a dividing line between smart teams and stupid teams. The the stupid teams will just keep doing the things that they've always done because that's how they've always done them. And the smart teams Mm -hmm. will integrate this additional data into their decision-making. So that'll be a fun thing to watch. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back, and we're going to have more uh, idle chatter about the future of the Pac-12. What does that mean? You're, you're going to have to stay around to listen to it on the other side. Welcome back. Thanks for sticking with us. We're going to talk a little bit about the future of the Pac-12. There have been a handful of stories over the last couple months about the, uh, the kind of what, what will the Pac-12 look like in the future. This all kind of starts with the USC uh, – elephant in the room of USC being attracted to other conferences, being a cash cow for a conference that's not bringing in a lot of money due to a poor TV deal and what that could mean in the future. Uh, You remember a few years ago, uh, Larry Scott tried to bring Texas and Oklahoma into the Pac-12. Instead, it ended up being Utah and Colorado because the Big 12 blinked and let uh, Texas market their own games on the Longhorn Network, uh, which they originally weren't willing to do. If that means that the Pac-12 was just part of a recruiting ploy, maybe that's true. But ultimately, uh, it still leaves the conference in the same position where there's this blend of nationally marketable programs, USC, UCLA, probably Arizona basketball, probably Oregon football, hopefully a couple of the UW sports, uh, and a few others. But also some teams that have no national presence at all, like Oregon State, uh, Washington State, you know, you may say the same thing about Cal uh, Athletics, maybe even Utah, Colorado to some extent. Uh, where does that leave the Pac-12? Do you think that this is a conference that's viable long-term? And if it is, what are they going to have to do to remain financially competitive with other conferences that are right now so far ahead? Yeah, I think um, my answer to this is kind of 
very much related to two of my previous thoughts. Um, one being that given how much everything is up in the air right now, I'm super, <laughs> super uncomfortable with making a prediction and being, and standing by that and saying it will be accurate. Um, so at this point, my honest answer to is it, will it continue to be a thing? Is it viable? Um, is I have no idea. Um, and I, th- I think anyone who really claims otherwise is kind of uh, full of BS. Um, and the other thing, um, just similar to what we were just talking about, is is I think we'll know a lot more about the future of the Pac-12 after, I mean, realistically after there's a vaccine because um, life isn't probably going to go back to completely fully normal until that happens, which is going to be a while. Um, but I, I think there's so many factors financially in not just the Pac-12 or UW, but with the NCAA and college sports in general um, that, the, you know, when when we finally start seeing um, everything fall into place, I think there's uh, potentially a lot of different scenarios that end up end up happening. Um, whether I mean, like today, for example, um, there's a memo circulating about how the Arizona athletic department is going to be like seven and a half million dollars, uh, or is going to have lost like seven and a half million dollars. Um, and I think there's potentially scenarios where, uh, you know, Washington, Oregon, and California um, schools, or or any of them, I think there's there's a possibility that they all end up out of this fine. That college football happens as usual in the fall, um, and that is obviously by far the majority where the majority of revenue comes from, um, and they can figure their shit out and get Larry Scott to not be a dingus and um, and keep moving forward, in at least in some form, similar as a uh, successor or uh, to the Pac-12 as, we, as we've always known it. Um, you know, it's also very likely that not just the Pac-12, but a lot of conferences and schools lose a crap load of money this year um they already have for march madness uh there's gonna be there's a likelihood that uh football is way altered in the fall and obviously or doesn't happen and then in all likelihood like a lot of sports programs will have to be cut period um because that's just so much money lost and i think it's hard to say that Oh, the pack. If if that happens, oh, the Pac-12 loses a crap load of money. Oh, they have to be um, dissolved, and some schools brought to the Big 12, for example. I think it's easy to think that, but there's if if the scenario is that bad, that there's not going to be any schools or any conferences that are doing good after this. So I think it would be hard for anyone to really have much bargaining power. Period. Um, and I think a lot of this is going to end up having to be way more collaborative for things to really be healthy moving forward um, as we kind of start to see more of this. Yeah, I, I, that is, you're exactly right that it's it's very hard to separate the implications of the TV deal, media rights deals from uh, the 
enormous financial implications of the ongoing pandemic, and, and none of us really know what those answers will be. We probably could have made more educated guesses about this two months ago, three months ago, whatever the timeline was, uh, and said, you know, in the future, if we're going to try to compete with the ACC and the SEC and the Big Ten, it's going to require more frontline uh, names in the conference. Who knows what that's going to look like uh, a year from now or six months from now if some of these programs kind of go under, you know, it may be a moot point. I don't think anybody's going to necessarily yeah. go under, but it's going to look uh, – the broadcasting might look different. Ticket revenues might look very different. We'll have to reevaluate at that point. Um, but the one opinion I do feel pretty confident in about this is that if there is some kind of super conference built around, uh, you know, the, the USC, UCLA, uh, Texas, Oklahoma – at kind of the premier teams from each of those conferences, I really, really hope that we're not on the outside looking in because it seems like there's a version of this where the Big 12 essentially stays intact and tries to add the two to four most valuable, biggest names from the Pac-12, and Washington quickly kind of becomes on uh, the fringe of that discussion. Uh, as a national brand, I think Oregon probably has more value due to the association with Nike and everything that that's meant for that school, which is extremely depressing to me. But just in financial terms, they have such an, in, such a national presence and brand that it, it's it's hard to argue against that. And a school in, in L.A. is always going to have that advantage. I, in my opinion, we'd probably come in next, maybe even a, a little bit ahead of UCLA. Uh, but I don't know. Arizona has got a great basketball team, and Arizona State's in Phoenix and has multiple good programs, and Stanford's one of the most prestigious academic schools in the country. Maybe some of the and, – and it's in the Bay Area. Maybe some of these things are attractive to another conference, and we're left playing San Diego State and uh, Utah State in our, our conference every year. That would be an absolute catastrophe to me. That's the only part of this that scares me that I have really yeah. strong feelings about. So let's stay far, far away from that. Yeah, and yeah, there's like a lot of scenarios that I I prefer, for example, like I would prefer, frankly, just for my own nostalgic uh, sense that the Pac-12 stays forever and whatever, because the thought of just not having a Pacific conference is so bizarre and otherworldly to me that just from a... From, just from an emotional standpoint, I want, but there's definitely the, the one scenario that that for UW's own relevance and future that is truly the one thing that I wouldn't be able to stand and would have a, a mental breakdown is, is that exact same one. Yeah. Um, fair enough. All right. Let's finish the football talk before we sign off, do a little bit of recommendations uh, and not plugs because there's nothing to plug in the world. There are no live events happening. I do. Uh, I do. That's Wait, terrifying. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, sorry. Do you? I thought you were going to finish your sentence first. No, then I would say this. Let's do recommendations uh, and plugs. Okay. Okay. Uh, my so okay. My uh, a friend of mine, a Seattle comedian, Ariana Romick, just launched a um, humor online humor magazine. I guess you would call it humor blog site, whatever. Uh, called the Foreigner. Um, she's super, super, super funny, um, and it's um, a, a site that combines it's like humorous essays and other articles and stuff uh, from perspective of uh, immigrants and or second generation 
or first generation uh, Americans um, as as she is one um, and and other people related to, you know, like the diasporas, national diasporas um, and everything like that. Uh, so kind of for immigrants and children of immigrants and all that to be really funny and while also just like giving uh, a taste of uh, or enlightening the rest of us and also just making us laugh and uh, all that. Um, so I recommend, I think, I forget what their their Twitter and Instagram handle is, but it's something, I want to say the foreigner comedy or something. Um, either way, look it up. Uh, look her up on Twitter, too, um, because that's a, a project that I'm really excited to to see grow. That is all. That is the plug. We could probably, we should be able to put the, the link on the post for this, right? It seems doable. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll go find it. And then uh, retroactive ask her if it's cool that I just plugged her. She's <laughs> <laughs> like, absolutely not. I don't want anybody reading this blog. <laughs> yeah. Is this a secret? This is not to be considered yeah, by the this public. Is a secret site. How dare you read my diary? Yeah, you assholes. <laughs> Uh, anyway, I think Anne Frank ever feels bad that people are reading her private diaries. Um, so <laughs> I don't know why that was the thing I thought. A uh, separate topic. I tell me if this is something that everybody's already seen, but we recently started watching Killing Eve, uh, which is a BBC show, which I didn't realize was created by Phoebe Waller-Bridge, yeah. which, who also made Fleabag. Uh, I watched Fleabag a while ago. Uh, and finally got around to starting to watch. Uh, Killing Eve, which is it's it's kind of a I mean the the premise is basically that uh, Sandra O, oh, who's not really my favorite actress, but is very good in this. Uh, she she's a kind of like low level middle manager at the British intelligence service who gets kind of falls ass backwards into uh, investigating an international like highly trained assassin and their lives get really entangled and it's like kind of lighthearted but also uh, entertaining and a little bit funny but also a little bit dramatic and and it's really well done i've really enjoyed it so far so not all the way through it but if you know it's on hulu now there's two seasons of it on there and i think there's a new season airing on bbc america or something so uh that's that's a cool thing to watch if you've you know finished all of tiger king and don't know what else there is left on the internet i will never watch tiger king (laughs) i i watched it and it was it was better than I thought it was going to be. Like it was more, not better, but more entertaining. Like I thought it was going to be like another uh, like Jersey Shore thing, where it's just like let's point and laugh at the dumb people. But everybody <laughs> in it is so like willing to embrace who they are, and there's like very very little shame. And there's a lot of just like, hey, accept me as I am. And I, I don't know if that's just like an Oklahoma wide thing, but it it uh, I mean I don't need to like tell people. Uh, what Tiger King is. It's, I think it's been viewed by like more people than there are in the world at this point. So if you want to be the outside of that, I, I make a lot of decisions like that too. I've still never had a sparkling seltzer. And at this point, it's just like, hey, if I haven't done it yet, why start now? So I definitely understand exactly. where you're coming from. Yep. that That's my hot take of the, of the day, week <laughs> even. All right, I think that much. Yeah, that should pretty much wrap it up. Where this is not a podcast for uh, Tiger King or Hard Seltzers, uh, but we will be back in a couple weeks. Hopefully, there will be something new to talk about. Maybe we can talk about uh, have all these same takes about the draft after it's already happened. That'll be entertaining. If not, we'll make up something else to talk about. So, thanks for sticking around with us. Uh, and if we're lucky next time, we will be talking to the actual real live Cody Pickett. 
Oh, I thought you were going to say, if we're lucky next time, we will still be alive. Um, but <laughs> yeah. Perfect, right? <laughs> safe, healthy, and safe, everybody. Uh, you can do this. And that's how we're ending. But her last word.